Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another beautiful day and a great edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And Z, man, today we're hitting on a topic which is really interesting. We've been talking a bit about this idea, let's just live and let live. So can we get through this life with minimal encumbrances? Uh, Can we go about our business, do what we want to do? Do it in a way where we're not infringing upon the liberties of others. We're not harming other people, at least not intentionally. Uh, or maybe you could even argue unintentionally. Uh, maybe there need to be some restrictions on on what we do. But how can we get through life with the minimal amount of restriction? Uh, because if we think about where we are today, it's an interesting situation. We seem to be moving into more and more of this authoritarian world. And uh, we see it from different angles. Uh, We see it with the rise of different political leaders. You look at India, for example, free speech has taken a nosedive under Modi, and this has been a trend that's been happening for a number of years. Uh, You look at the Philippines, uh, Duterte came in and started shooting anyone who was suspected of dealing drugs. Uh, We saw Trump come in, and depending on your perspective, some people love Trump, but for certain groups of people, uh, their rights were limited immigrants obviously faced a very difficult time. And that's one avenue of restrictions just against basic freedom to express ourselves, to move, to be where we want to be. Uh, We can move away from the law and the political system. We can look at cancel culture. So cancel culture is this phenomenon that's arisen, I would argue, in the last 10 years. At least that's when I've noticed it. And I was talking to someone who runs an open mic Uh, This person's been doing it for about 15 years. He said, yeah, in the last 10 years, satire has been dead. You you can't do any satire because people don't get it and they're too offended. So we have trigger words. Uh, Certain phrases, regardless of the intent and the context, are so damaging to certain people that they will cancel you. Uh, They won't talk to you. They won't associate with you, sometimes even based on the political candidate that you support. Uh, I talked to kids who were just starting out in universities, and they're saying, yeah, you know, one of my friends canceled another friend because they supported Trump, and now they don't don't even communicate. And so we're losing that ground for communication. Socially, it can be traumatic. It can have financial repercussions. People are losing their jobs. They're losing sponsorships. And as we've talked about in the past, the less that we can communicate our ideas and interact with one another and find common ground, the more polarizing society becomes. And the less able we're able to evolve because evolution requires some conflict, some discourse. So that's another restriction of our ability uh, to just live and let live. And then, of course, there are all these debates around coronavirus and the vaccine. Some people are very pro-vaccine mandates and can't even understand why anyone would be against it. Uh, Look, it's a public health issue. If you're out living in society, it's not just about you. It's not just about your safety. You impact everyone around you. So if you impact everyone around you, your freedom is not absolute. We can put restrictions on that freedom. We can force you to vaccinate for the good of society. And other people are saying, this is ridiculous. I don't want to carry around vaccine passports. 
I don't want the government to track what I do, even if we don't go in that direction, which is arguable. Uh, but let's say that the the policies stop today where they are. Uh, just the act of having to show proof of vaccination, there's some indignity associated with that. It's like this minor irritant. Z, as you mentioned the other day, we were talking about this. Uh, you called it a reminder that we are wards of the state. So it's like a psychological ding. Or every time you go and you pull out this vaccination card, it's like someone is taking a small cut out of you with a knife and reminding you that you are not free. And of course, no freedom is absolute, but do we need that thrown in our face? And what's the psychological toll of an increasing amount of restrictions on our ability to live, our ability to express ourselves? Uh, You look at the downside of all of this, we find that people are more isolated than ever. They don't have satisfying or intimate relationships. They feel depressed. Just anecdotally, uh, I've seen in in my family, my extended circle, uh, people are killing themselves because life in the last year and a half has been challenging. And if you have mental health problems, they've been exacerbated uh, probably three times to what they were before uh, because of all the stresses of being isolated and not having that support network. Uh, So a lot of interesting ground to cover. I would say we can agree on the principle of live and let live, at least in the opt-out community. I feel like most people would adhere to that. And I want your thoughts on that, Z, in a second just why that's a good principle to live by. But I also want to push a little bit because there's a trade-off. You know, again, nothing is absolute. We're always dealing with a continuum. How do we decide where personal freedom ends and obligations to a broader society begin? How do we make that trade-off? How do we have those discussions? Uh, These are some of the things that we should kick off. I think it'll be a really interesting discussion. So why don't you go ahead, uh, just start us off with your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, for all of us opt-outs, this is a discussion that is challenging. Um, it's provocative. It's forcing us to really dig deep. Um, I remember someone saying, your personal freedom ends at the tip of my nose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or something along those nature. As long as you don't impose upon me is basically what it's saying. You said something real cool this morning with all these impositions on people restrictions, random people in any position of a, of, of vague authority can demand your VAX card or whatever for you to move about. You said now everybody's black. So it did a lot to for racial equality because it's made everybody black. Any, any white person in a position of authority, be it the teller at whatever, any black person who's pushing buttons on an elevator that you're getting on can demand that you show a Vax card. It reminds me of watching the movie on Billie Holiday when she wants to go with Hula Bankhead in an elevator and the black guy tells her no blacks can get on this elevator. The black guy is is whatever you guys in New York have, the elevator man or whatever you guys call it. And she's like so upset. She's looking in the black man's eyes and he's looking at her with such pain. I have to do this. This is my job. Uh, And he whispers to her, we would be killed for much less down south. And she's just pissed off that Tallulah Bankhead steps in and says, look, I'll take the freight elevator with you. And Billie Holiday is just pissed that this indignity is pushed upon her. And the elevator guy is hurt, but he's also 
understanding that that's his job and he must do his job. He needs to be a good German uh, in order just to get through the day. So we're in a, a challenging place that, that, that we're going to have, we're going to benefit each other by talking about it. Um, there's a precedence, apparently, John Tay mentioned there's a precedence for mandatory vaccinations. There's a precedence for it. Johansson or something versus... Uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Jacobson versus Massachusetts, 1905, during the smallpox outbreak. Some guy didn't want to be vaccinated. They basically beat his ass, forced a needle in him against his will, and, and, and the court said that's okay. So we're a long way from 1905. We're a long way from 1905. And as I was saying to earlier today, what's the difference? I think the way we move information, uh, indoor plumbing, hygiene, all these things have changed, but they really haven't changed that much. This time we're driven by mass fear. Mass fear. Someone said to me today, a really smart guy is caught up in the fear. He said, well, 700,000 people have died. We have to do this. Well, they're dead. Why do we have to do it? They're, they're not coming back. I mean, John Tay's laughing, but I'm thinking about it. I think we lose a lot of people to a lot of things, and I'm not saying that in a callous way. What is our metric or what is the standard that we react to? If we're doing this solely for the sake of protecting people from the virus that's killing people, and I think what is 80% of people have comorbidities, things like that, and everybody is, is, is falling in line with the drumbeat, if you don't, you're in bad shape. So let's look at the other things. I'm trying to follow that line of reasoning. What are the other things that are killing people? What Has there been anything else that's killed this many people in the last two years? Is it 700,000 deaths since the Kofifi started in, what, uh, 2019? When did they declare Kofifi a public health crisis? So we're at 729,000 729, deaths, 729. Okay. How many people this year died of obesity? Can you look that up? Uh, it would be under heart disease, probably. Let's look up obesity deaths. Can we just play with that? I'm curious, Vin, because I want to know what are the things that rile you up? How many people have died of obesity or obesity-related diseases? So globally, I don't have U.S. numbers, globally, uh, 2.8 million people dying each year as a result of being overweight or obese. 2.8 million, okay. Globally. It's a little more than 700. Let's try and find a U.S. number on that or a North American number, industrialized country. So uh, what about... Um, alcohol-related deaths. Can we look that up? So I'm doing this for all of us. I just want us, because us opt-outs, I want us to think through things, not react, not be driven by populism or cultism or just fear. Let's really look for data-driven things. What'd you find? Alcohol-related deaths. 95,000 annually. So 95,000 Annually, third leading is the third leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. Okay, so ninety-five thousand a year die of alcohol-related deaths. How many die of obesity? Said two million. Um, how about 
what other things? Um, Cigarettes. Yeah, just just uh, health choices, right? So we could play this game all day. My point being is, when do we decide what what monster we fight, and what is the decision made? And then you enlightened me this morning. You said something so simple in passing. You said that it's an interesting thing that once the opioid, look up opioid deaths, once the opioid thing has become bad news and they stop selling opioids, they switch products to different types of vaccines. So I'm just saying from the money game, and again, I'm not talking about conspiracies. I don't believe in that. Uh, what's opioid? So it's been on a steady rise from 21,000 in 2010 to 47,000 in 2017 to 49,000 in 2019. Okay, so about 50,000 people a year die of that. So there's a lot of stuff killing folks other than um, old age and meteors falling out the sky, right? A lot of stuff killing people. How do we protect each other from death? So is that, is that what we're trying to do? How do we protect ourselves from death? I don't know. So for us opt-outs, let's play with this a lot. And I'm asking all of us not to, not to be rigid. I'm not rigid. I'm not pro or anti-vax. I think each person, it's an intimate, quiet decision we make. And that goes to our whole topic. How do we live and let live? I, it's, we talked about I enjoy comedy. I enjoy raggedy, crazy in-your-face comedy with um, every type of bit of foul language and things so I can just laugh hard and vent. That's what comedy does. Um, but if you don't like the comedy, if I don't like the com comedy uh, or the comedian, I just go out and, and get me a uh, cranberry juice and orange juice from the bar. Cranberry orange juice thing. And wait till the next comedian comes on. I have no idea or no desire, I should say, to get on my keyboard three in the morning, pounding the keys, saying this person should never be allowed to work again because they said some disparaging words about you know black people that look like me, about Africans. Nowhere have I ever had the desire to do that, nor did I think it was effective. Maybe that's because I'm black. I don't know. But I never felt that I had any sort of right to hurt another person's career because I didn't like, I invited myself into their world and didn't like what was there. When I was in the Air Force, I had a, a, one of my buddies took me to a, a bar he used to like to go to. It was a hillbilly bar. All hillbillies. Ding, 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 ding. You know, just really your stereotype. <laughs> Yeehaw! Hillbillies. A lot of Caitlin's relatives. And um, oh, it was called the New O. I don't know what the old O was. I don't know why it was called the New O. It was called the New O. So I didn't ask. I just made sure my 9 millimeter was ready to go. And I knew where all the doors were, exit doors, and who I'd use as a human shield. And I would go there with him, and then I would go there, but I wouldn't eat anything. They didn't have anything I could eat there. And so after I kept coming there a few times, uh, the owner's wife came and said, hey, how come you don't never eat nothing? I said, well, there's nothing on the menu I eat. I happen to be a vegetarian. She said, a vegan niggerin'? 
what the hell is a vegan niggerin? I said, I just eat vegetables. I don't eat animals. He said, that's interesting. That's why you're so fit. I said, yeah. And, and, and my buddy John said, yeah, he's a cool guy. He's in Air Force with me. So I came in again, and she said, I got something for you. I got no meat. I made chili with nothing in it. I read a book. And she used to make me vegetarian chili at the new O, right? Hillbilly Bar. It's some of the best chili I ever had. She used to make it for me. But right in there, how do you deal with people? I didn't force my view on this woman. I didn't try to get her to change her restaurant for me. I had a choice walking through that door with the Confederate flags and all the other stuff there. And it was my choice. It was my choice to go in or not go in. It was my choice to try the food or not try the food. But I never felt it was a, cho it was a purpose or choice of mine to impose my ways, wills, desire, and culture upon her. Fast forward 40-something years, it seems like everybody feels they have station and position to get you to adjust your life for their comfort and that the fact we even make conversation with that. So that is anti-live and let live. When it comes to people's sexual identity, for example, let us look not back or forth, but in the moment. Your sexuality is as private to you as your bowel movement is in the morning whenever you sit on the toilet. It's a private thing. It's a personal thing that you probably don't want to share with a lot of people. Let me tell you about how those laxatives worked last night. Oh my God. Actually, I'd be offended if somebody kept me abreast of their bowel movement. Because it's personal. It's a biological function. It's their thing. What if we treated sexuality like that? Whatever your thing is, what if you just kept it to yourself? What if you just lived and let live? What if you only shared it to people who it mattered to? People you're around. How much harmonious would our society be? Only a question. Only a question. How do we get into this position we're in now. We're losing good teachers in schools. I mentioned to you that LASUD fired teachers that did not vaccinate. And I'm not talking about weirdo right-wing extremists that want to make a point that they're anti-whoever by sneezing in your face and pumping diesel smoke through your door. I'm not talking about those people. These are teachers that tested every week mask up, wash their hands raw with antibacterial, and treat your children with grandmotherly and grandfatherly kindness. They were fired. But interestingly enough, the same school district supplied the legal fees for pedophiles. So you can look it up. A teacher who wanted to have sex with a 13 or 14-year-old student and said the student could consent. They actually went to court to prove that the student could consent to this. Or they house people who have harmed or endangered kids in a school building, but they cannot fire them. 
people who have actually hurt children. So I'm not about LASD with the politics. I just want us to take a look at where even when we think we're reasoned, how that can jump the train when we impose ourselves on other people. How do we live and let live? That means we want to take stock of ourselves and understand privacy, intimacy, and guard that. There are certain people you go to to share psychological problems. One thing I tell people, if you have psychological problems, don't come to me and then say, Z, I, I, I don't want you to tell anybody. But um, I see dead people. Well, by the time you leave the door, everybody I know is going to know you feel that way. Because I'm not your shrink. That's funny as hell to me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to hang with you. But, oh, it's going to be out there. <laughs> it's going to be out there. So don't come to me if you see dead people. Because I'm going to talk about you. It's going to be in my next class. It is, right, Caitlin? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so there are certain people you go to if you don't want information out there. I would say keep it simple like me. All my information is out there. All my information is out there, so it's really, I can't, I can't, I'm kind of embarrassed proof. You know what I mean? I'm embarrassed proof. I'm, uh, I'm okay with all that. I like transparency. Then there's nothing they can throw at you, right? If it's out there, there's nothing they can throw at you. Or don't do stuff that if you feel it'll come back, it'll harm you. Own yourself. How about we opt-outs develop certain ethos in our life where we can fall on our own sword. Let us be like samurais and willing to commit harikari for what we believe. Then we're okay. So cancel culture can't affect us. We're already, let's self-cancel. You know what? For everybody that's not opt-out, I'm going to cancel my trip on the ship of fools. Ha <laughs> ha! Beat you to it. I'm just not going to ride that boat. I, won't, I don't want to be a part of whatever her name was, Milano, Milano, who's protesting uh, David, David Chappelle and the government, and she's protesting a bunch of stuff. I think she's protesting because nobody remembers her show, Bambi, the Goat Slayer, or whatever she was on. Charmed. Yes, yeah, something. Oh, a charming or something. I don't know who she is. So these people, I think these people are, are really fighting for relevance. I enjoy my obscurity. I'm famous within the range of the people I know. That's really all that counts to me. I can't speak for people that need the notoriety of, of the unknown faces and the, the, the invisible masses and the faceless committee. I canceled that subscription. So I, I'm like an anti-missile missile when it comes to cancel culture. And I think for us who are trying to find the way we live and let live, let us consider and think about the world as we sit back and look at it. Let's strive to be enlightened. John Tan enlightened me about the, the guy in the smallpox thing, so I know there is a precedence for mandatory vaccinations in the United States. How do we avoid the high-handed, heavy-handedness of political elites? We found that this thing will collapse the left wing. For the fear the left wing had of the rise of the right wing uh, kind of uh, racism, the right wing kind of uh, whatever it is, feudalism, totalitarianism. 
totalitarianism, they've become the very thing they feared. They're becoming the very thing they feared. Or they said they feared. So it's time for a reset. I think globally, when I talk to folks around the world in Asia and Europe, they feel that they've seen this before under different dictators. And they, they have an uncomfortable reflection in recent years of various dictators that rose and fell in their country. And they know where it left their country. They're kind of piecing things back together. The U.S. has never uh, been hit this hard. So it's going to be the first experience dealing with feudalism. But I look at causality. You brought it on yourself. The divisiveness, the extreme polarization. A dear friend told me today, he said, there can't be, you can't be in the middle. I told him there needs to be maybe a middle road, a third party, something. He, and, and, and he had a great discussion about how you can't really be in the middle. And it made sense. You can't ride, you can't straddle the fence. The definition of liberalism is straddling the fence. Isn't that interesting? But also on the other side, when you take an extreme position in a revolving world, you end up on the side you don't want to be in anyway. If I keep going right, I end up left. If I keep going left, I end up right. So let's find a way to navigate this evolving horizon event by event, situation by situation, maybe even case by case. But what I'd like to do is figure out a way we can live and let live, mainly amongst us, because the, the world as it's set isn't interested in that. It's comply, comply, comply. It's like some kind of loyalty test. It's like people would say during the war, the call to the Middle Eastern wars, you're either for us or you're against us. That was the right wing. Now the left wing is saying either comply or die. It's the same thing. So I don't want to be a part of any of it. How about is where is the avenue for us that have opted out? Where is the place for us that have opted out? You have any thoughts on that, Vin? Anybody? Yeah, I think you bring up some very interesting points. Z, your example about going into the uh, the bar back in the day, not having any expectations about how people are going to treat you when you're in their house on their terms. To me, that's an example of of interaction and sharing different perspectives and forming a bond once you get past whatever your differences are. You went in there. They probably learned something from you. You had good chili. You left with a good feeling. That's what happens if you look past the fact that, oh, something's unfamiliar and it offends me, so now I'm going to totally disengage. That's how we get these warring factions. That's how we get to this extreme state where you've just got two sides screaming at each other, but they're not willing to listen. No one's willing to listen and try and understand what the other side is going through. So that by itself is very dangerous. When I look at the, the whole situation with coronavirus, I find it interesting. I mean, my view, 
I don't even know if my view is important about the policy. It is a complicated situation. I'm not going to deny that. There have been a lot of people who've died. I don't want to dismiss that. So there are pros and cons to anything we do. You can take away personal liberty, and there are issues with with taking away that liberty that reduces the quality of life, that might cause depression. Uh, You look at the impact of a lot of these policies that weren't thought through. In India, for example, in 2020, in March and April, 400 million people were displaced because the government all of a sudden decided to cancel public transportation and send the domestic workers back to their villages. Uh, So people were basically trekking hundreds of kilometers. They had no other way of getting back. So there are these disasters that occur if uh, you follow some of these policies, but if you don't, you could argue maybe a lot of other people would have died instead of the 700,000. Maybe it would have been a million, a million and a half. And I don't want to get into what the right policy is, but I think it is instructive to take a look at how we're making decisions. Because to me, if you look at coronavirus, the decision-making has been completely dysfunctional. And what I mean by that, number one, it starts with the narrative of fear. Uh, So I remember back in March and April of last year, there was just this constant drumbeat of fear. Every single headline that you saw, whether you were online or you flipped on the TV or you read the newspaper, it was a daily count. How many people are dead? How many infections are there? Oh, my God, we're all going to die. We got to stay indoors. I remember physicians, uh, one of my wife's friends, talking about how this is going to be a disaster. Our parents are all going to be dead, so we should start thinking about planning their funerals and how we're going to move on. Uh, I was running past someone in the neighborhood, and I got within 10 feet of them, and this woman just turned around and screamed at me and, and said, what are you thinking? Why would you come so close to me? It was just this bizarre environment. So it started with fear, which is never a good foundation for making rational decisions. In fact, it's the opposite foundation because we're in survival mode and our bodies work in a way where we're entirely focused on ourselves. We can't think clearly when we're in that state. So you start with that. Then you move on to the fact that politicians just want to do whatever they can to appeal to the masses It's in their best interest to magnify the crisis. They can step in, declare a state of emergency, exert some sort of control. Uh, I look at New York, and you had Andrew Cuomo during that time who gave his nightly updates. He came out at least for a period of time looking like a hero. People were very happy with what he'd done. Even though he sent COVID patients back to nursing homes, he still was able to give his updates and talk about what a serious threat this is. It was ridiculous to me, but I can see that politicians want to take advantage of the situation. And there was, no, again, no clear thinking. And all you have to do is look at the pattern of decision-making. So going back to that time, you had a series of dominoes. That's really how I visualize it. You had certain institutions shutting down, certain countries coming up with policies, and then another country would come up with the same policies. In the U.S., it was this battle between New York and California. And I think New York was ahead by a couple of days. So New York would come up with a policy, and then a day or two later, California would enact the exact same thing. So if you're just following what everyone else is doing, clearly you're not weighing the pros and cons. You're not having a discussion. Uh, You look at a lot of the censorship around the issues. 
And the vaccine, I do believe that the vaccine has saved a lot of lives. I do believe it's generally effective. And I do believe that for most people, it's it's reasonably safe. I mean, I, I can't speak to long term what the effects are. I haven't seen studies. Uh, but it's not like a lot of people I know are dropping dead from taking this vaccine. So arguably, you could suggest or, or you could conclude uh, that we're better off collectively taking the vaccine than not. But at the same time, there's data that says that for certain people, they run into issues with the vaccine. There are questions about why you need a vaccine if you've had COVID and you have the natural immunity. And these topics are not decided. I mean, there's not a conclusive point of view. Uh, There's not an overwhelming set of evidence to settle the issue in one direction or another. Yet social media platforms are censoring one view in favor of another that's being promoted by politicians. So that, to me, is also very strange. Why aren't we able to discuss evidence? Some of the evidence that's being discussed, it's by doctors who are credentialed. Uh, it's, uh, it comes from scientifically uh, uh, or peer-reviewed scientific journals. Uh, so wh- why wouldn't we want to look at the whole evidence? What are we so afraid of? I, I mean, wh- why is it so scary uh, to have a debate and to recognize that there are limits to any point of view. Uh, and maybe by recognizing that, we end up with something totally different. You know, Maybe there's a policy that we haven't thought of, which is actually better than anything we've considered. Uh, because right now, it's just two opposite views and two sides beating each other over the head without considering the data and without considering how we can actually solve this problem uh, maybe there's less of a trade-off than we think. Uh, you know, perhaps we can do things uh, where we're not infringing so much on personal liberty, and we're also saving lives. Uh, the other aspect of this that I find strange, and you and I have talked about this, Z, is it seems entirely hypocritical, and uh, there's no uniform set of standards. So, if our standard is saving lives, then why don't we apply that in in other cases? I mean, uh, to your point, people die all the time. People die in countries uh, every day from starvation, from war. No one gives a shit about that. So suddenly saying, oh, my God, look at all these people who are dying. Yeah, that's just because, number one, the information is right in front of your face. And number two, you're afraid you're going to die. So it's not so much about the people around you. It's more about yourself, which I get. But if we can admit that, maybe we can have more of an honest discussion about this issue. Uh, if we are using the vaccine, to me, that's got to be a bridge to somewhere. I don't think – my view, at least, is that we have to attack the underlying problem. And attacking the underlying problem means let's get public health under control. That's the reason, as we've talked about on this podcast, that COVID is such an issue uh, because of the comorbidities, the obesity, the diabetes. Those comorbidities turn this from something that – that we could collectively survive to something that creates a lot of stress on the system uh, because it just escalates the number of people who are dropping dead. And I get it. You know, in a few months, you're not going to be able to change the way that people behave and get them from 250 pounds to 180 pounds. But we've been in this now for 18 months. Uh, Arguably, it'll be at least another six months. Over a two-year period, three-year period, you can shift the way that people think about health. Uh, You can encourage Uh, different habits. Uh, You can encourage exercise. Uh, Why aren't we having that discussion? We're so quick to run to a pharmaceutical solution. Uh, So in my view, it's not so much about what the right answer is. 
I don't know if there's such a thing as a right answer. They're, they're trade-offs, as we've talked about, no matter what we do. But the entire decision-making process, to me, seems to be broken. And perhaps that is the most frightening thing, because if we lose the ability to think clearly, to weigh evidence, to look at pros and cons, what direction will we go in? We are susceptible to going into whatever crazy direction the crowd deems acceptable. Whatever uh, the masses decide, and we don't even know who these masses are, as we've talked about, we call them the faceless committee, but whatever that consensus is, we can't challenge it. We can't argue against it. We just have to fall in line. What will that do to us in the future? It's it's frightening to think about. So I don't know what your thoughts are, Z, but, but to me that's really the heart of this whole thing. We've gotten to a point where we're governed by fear. We're governed by this need to defer to experts. We're afraid to challenge conventional opinion. Uh, there's a certain amount of censorship, there's polarization, so we're not willing to listen to the other side. And it could be COVID or it could be something else. Uh, How are we going to deal with the next crisis? Are we going to continue to go down, I would argue, arbitrary paths without fully considering the full picture, the pros and cons, without making intelligent decisions? Or are we just getting stupider because of our fear and our tribalism? What are your thoughts on that? Well, Vin, this podcast about live and let live also is taking us in a certain direction for all the opt-outs of really exercising our logic and reasoning mechanisms in our brain, really, really working out our deductive reasoning and challenging a lot of the ways that we think, our community thinks. I sit and I look at the dilemmas that we find ourselves in. Obesity is a major problem in this culture, in in the Western world. It is a major health problem. It's a major economic problem. But in cancel culture, it's called fat shaming. You see the dilemma? This is a real problem, but we diminish the impact of that problem by over over-esteeming people's feelings that are based not on intelligence, but just a feeling. I don't want to look at the scale. And so as we use a lot of our social resources to adjust, to try to make everyone feel good, it's at the cost of social growth, social evolution. Is it worth that loss of growth? I don't know. Let us all think about that. With the idea of gender identity and so forth and all these things going on, what if it was private to you? What if you kept that to yourself? And when we met each other in the general space, in the common space, that we met each other based on whatever common interest, views, and values we share, but we went back to our intimate space, our not common space, we can freely express ourselves amongst our intimates. How much conflict would that reduce in our society if we took that position? I'm only asking this question and any of us can chime in. We are actually hurting society as a whole. Um, The left and the right, 
the liberal and the conservative are seen to be closer connected now and those who are neither or have no rigid connection either are kind of in a bad space. Where do you go? I can't really hang out with the right wingers because a lot of them are genocidal racists. They can't deal with this idea of, for example, qualified immunity of police. I feel that if I join the police force, I'm no better than a person who joined the Amazon force or the pizza force or the space force. I should be held to the same standards as everybody else. If I am a doctor and I kill somebody at work, I'm liable for that. And there should be no qualified immunity. Um, so if we don't move on that, I think that's, that's killing far too many people I know. It's killed far too many people I know. So I have an issue with that. Um, personal responsibility as it pertains to health and well-being, I have a real issue with that. I don't believe that people are the victims they think they are. I do believe there's a mental health challenges, but I also believe their first world mental health challenges are very different than universal mental health challenges. A lot of the health challenges of the first world are based on a sense of entitlement. Do are we entitled to be happy and stimulated every day, all day, all the time? Is that our God-given right? Is it our national right? Is it part of patriotism that we should be happy and joy, joy, happy, happy all the time? So when we're not happy and joyful, that, that there should be a lot of resources directed towards us to rescue us from our sense that we didn't get something we were entitled to? How do people cope with depression and mental health in Bangladesh? How do poor people around the world who work 18-hour shifts with no vacation inside, how do they deal with depression? Just a question. So, for us opt-outs, let us think. These are, these are challenging times and there's no... I don't have the answer because I'm opposing the faceless committee. So the questions are vague and disconnected. It is troubling to see. I see health issues directly related to emotional issues. People feel entitled to something, whatever that is, they don't get it, they're upset, they're hurt, they're mad. There's a lot of this stuff going around where it's, it's someone else's responsibility for my life to go as I'd like it to go. And then where I look at is I want an idea that we live in a, a reasonably safe world. Safe from what? Safe from a police state. Safe from tyranny. Safe from being forced or compelled to go along with things that maybe you're not interested in. The freedom of your religion. And maybe my religion is about being left alone. Is that okay to have that religion? That I do my very best not to impose my ways, my culture, my values on other people. And when we meet in the common space, we meet as open-hearted diplomats. John Tay brought a, brought a friend in the other day, 
that was uh, overweight, um, underexposed, underskilled, and he said, I want to write a book. What did he say to me? I want to write a book, and I want to speak truth. And I said, to what? And he couldn't answer the question. He said, well, I want to make a book that makes a difference. A difference in what? He couldn't answer. So you have a whole generation of people who speak in what they call headers. Headlines. Headlines. They speak in headlines, but with no story. It's just like the thing they do on the Internet. They'll have this really compelling headline. You won't believe what the aliens left behind. Then you go to look at the story, and there's no story. There's ads. It was just to trick you. So he basically spoke like that. And I said, you, have, you, want, you might want to develop context to the headline. The headline will get you to buy the paper, but if the story will keep you there. You don't have a story. So that's where we're at right now. So I think our opt-out community have an opportunity to think about this and chime in. And where I'm left is in the, the Noah's art paradigm, where I think we should all just get our own place, buy Kanye's farm or ranch, or the other one in Texas that's like 30,000 acres and fence it off and invite everybody to what I call New Zealand. <laughs> That's with a Z-I, of course. And we can just hang out and live and let live and accept, just, hey, grow or evolve. Mm -hmm. Because this world doesn't seem really friendly to that right now. I find myself personally in a dilemma where the clock is ticking on my children's school because of the indoctrination in the schools. And I'm not a lefty or righty. I just want them to learn math and science, explore anthropology and research, history and the arts without being told what to like and what to not like, what to believe and not to believe, what sexual orientations they should accommodate and those they should not. I, I'm not interested in my kids learning that. Not from them. Yeah, not from random people freaks and weirdos. But maybe there's a place for freaks and weirdos. I'm okay with that. Just let me know where that place is at. What is the address of their capital? And I won't go there. Is that okay? You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it's funny you talk about a commune. I've been talking about that for a few years now. I'm trying to get my wife on board. <laughs> She's freaked out by the whole idea. But maybe we can still pull it off. In the interim. I think so. I think we have to think of cooperative situations, education places, support places, medical places, views, because either way, whatever you're on the right or left, if you're in lockstep, if you're in goose step with anybody, that's problematic, I think. I'm not saying everybody should take an anarchistic role and strive to be, uh, you know, the... the, the, the Anarchist Cookbook Part 2 or 3 or 4, even though that's what I'm into, I don't believe everyone else should necessarily go that route, but it would be nice to have a cooperative of independent thinkers that find common ground to work with in different areas of life. And there, we don't seem to have a place for that right now in general society. You follow me, Vin? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There was something like that online. 
I remember reading about this site. I forget the name of it, but it attracted a lot of Silicon Valley types, as well as people from different walks of life. It was open to anyone, and you could express any views. Uh, so the idea was that it was completely free. I, I don't know what the rules were around hate speech or trolling, uh, but no well-considered views were dismissed. And even that was shut down. So even these virtual spaces where people were congregating in this environment are no longer functioning. And you're right, we don't have that space. I guess we have that space at an individual level and that we can create it. We can spend more time with people who are like-minded, as we've talked about. We can build our community. And even without a physical space, maybe we can recreate some of that virtual community. Uh, but it, it is challenging, Z. I would – I also want to think about how we can create that without necessarily having a dedicated space. Can we apply the same principle in life? I mean, is there a way to live – where we set the right boundaries with people. And we've talked about this before, how in any relationship, we have to know the limits of that relationship. We have to know that there's certain things we can share, certain things that might offend certain parts of ourselves that we may not want to reveal, even with our intimate partners, because they just don't look at us that way, or it's things that they can't handle or things that upset them. How about taking that principle and applying it in this situation? And I feel like I've, I'm pretty able to navigate different types of people. I mean, I have friends who have more, more right views uh, or right-leaning views. Um, I remember I was in a cab with this one guy, and some of his, his views are racist. Uh, but it, I know he doesn't intend it that way. Uh, He's not going out of his way uh, to uh, to hurt minorities. Um, I mean, in fact, he's a person of color as well. Uh, uh, but just the way that he thinks, I can see how either I find it racist or other people might find it that way. And we were in a cab and we were talking to the cab driver. Actually, he was just talking to me and the cab driver overheard our conversation and this dude was from Egypt. So my friend was talking about how certain neighborhoods in New York just aren't safe to go to, and you don't want to be around there, and you don't want to be around certain types of people. And the cab driver heard this, and he said, yeah, I've got to interject. I mean, I've been in this country for 25 years, and I live in the neighborhoods that you're talking about, and every single person that I've met is extremely warm and friendly. So he was speaking from his direct day-to-day experience, uh, which I would give a lot of credit to. Uh, he's going to know better than my friend, who maybe either – has had a couple of one-off experiences or he's just making certain assumptions. But they got into this heated argument. And what was interesting to me is that I could interact with both. I mean, I could have a conversation with my friend. If I wanted to, I could turn around and have a conversation with the cab driver. Neither one would bother me, even though the views are totally different. Uh, It's just knowing what the limits are of the conversation and not adjusting the views, but taking what you can from different perspectives, uh, sharing perspectives, pushing, but knowing how much to push uh, because you, you don't want to get in a, a pointless discussion with someone. Uh, so that, that kind of strategy, see, let's talk about that for a second. Given that we're in this world where free speech is collapsing and there are more and more restrictions 
on how we interact with people, even if we can't stop that trend, can we manage ourselves in a way where there's less friction and we can still get along with a wide range of people, uh, even if society as a whole is becoming less tolerant? Well, Vin, I, I think about this as we're talking. It goes back to foundational philosophies. We understand that we live in an interesting time where intelligence is despised. Ignorance is highly rewarded. And if we know that, let us step back out of that, out of that stampede and work on ourselves and we cultivate intelligence. We are seekers of knowledge, seekers of truth. I was talking to uh, my nephew, Jante, earlier today, and I went to talk to him about a problem he's having with his harem. And he immediately starts shaking his head to me. He just said, okay, what is it now? You're shaking his head. No, 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 I didn't do it. I said, I haven't even said anything. And so we had a, a nice discussion about being, developing an appetite for constructive criticism, which we've talked about before, because that's the seat of skill building. That's at the foundation of skill building, is that you're willing to listen to someone who knows something, and even somebody doesn't know everything, and hear them out, and seeing what part of that can apply to me, right? What part of that uh, can apply to me? And that's what I want us in the opt-out community to take from this, is I don't have the answer to what's going on. I'm in it with the rest of you. But every day as I, I swim from point A to point B through this torrent of, of madness, I learn things just from surviving. It's like when you show up at a military base under fire and you're replacing the unit that came before you. All they can share with you is a simple thing. Stay alive. Here's what I learned. And you listen and you take that information, and when you survive, you pass that on to the next person, the things you've learned from the events that are unfolding in front of you. And I know that if we study, if we observe, if we strive to be intelligent, if we allow ourselves to um, learn from constructive criticism, if we hold on to our sincerity and our character, if we keep true to our mission. Our mission here is to mitigate human suffering. So we want to learn. We want to listen. But that doesn't mean that we sway with every critique or every list. We know who we are, constantly striving for self-realization. If you do that, you've already separated yourselves from the, um, the strength and the sway of the faithless committee. Work on yourself. Survive. Navigate this particular moment we live in, this confusion, this chaos. We don't have the answer in an ever unfolding question. But we do have the skill set to navigate based on tried and true and tested philosophies. Ignorance is rewarded nowadays. So you will not get a reward for being intelligent not from the common events of the day, but from your own self and from the people within your circle. They will gain the treasures of intelligence from working with you and you working with them. Keep yourself safe. As they say in boxing, 
Protect yourself at all times. The news is no longer the news. It is a propaganda machine. Right and left have melded into one another. So if you thought the left was bad, look out for the right. If you thought the right was bad, look out for the left. Again, it's like a boxing metaphor. You're in the ring with a fighter who has a, a deadly left and a knockout right. Got to protect yourself at all times. You have to stick and move. And so that's what we do. Intelligence, gain knowledge, talk with friends, observe, don't react, respond. That's the best thing we can do right now as we're developing an understanding, creating a new narrative about this world we live in um, and trying to manage that on the fly. We're writing a book while we're writing a story while we're in it, folks. So let's let, let's 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 make it turn out good chapter by chapter. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think you summed it up really well, Z. That first point, let's be clear on who we are. Let's not be swayed by the tendency to go to one extreme or the other. Uh, that is difficult to do uh, because it's much easier to just believe something completely as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm not really sure. I'm going to wait for more evidence. I'm going to take the middle path as we talk about but resist the temptation to go the easy route and get into this tribal warfare. And if we can do that, some of the tools that we've been talking about can be very useful. Between now and the time that we set up the commune and start taking applications for that, in the interim, listen to people, keep an open mind, know the limits of relationships, and we can figure out a way to get through this time, even though things are crazy, even though people are feral, we can still connect and we can still get along. So us in the opt-out community, as we close today, I want you to have a, a more lighthearted view of this. Think of us right now being in a horror movie. It's called The Zombies versus The Vampires. The, the, the right are the zombies, the left are the vampires. Those of us who are neither, we need to find a place to meet up, hang out, keep quiet, lay low, and be safe. Zombies versus vampires, I want no part of it. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs> All right, Ben. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.